0: All right, y'all. We th- we are live in the studio here in my apartment, and I've got a very special guest live in his house, his studio, on the <laughs> phone right now. This is a man who means a lot to me. He helped me a lot as uh, I was a young, young kid going to see him in his concerts in a band called Knife Dance, and he was actually performed. He was the second band on the first show I ever booked, which was a laughing high in his Knife Dance, and lost on April 9th. Uh-huh. Nineteen eighty nine at the Continental Ballroom in Erie, Pennsylvania. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got Tom Dark on the line. What's up, Tom?
1: Hey, what's up, my man? This is mad. Oh man, you mentioned one of my favorite bands of all time, Laughing Hyenas. Oh.
0: That's one of my I favorite love those guys. One of my favorite bands of all time, too. And did you see that John posted up yesterday that somebody sent him somebody posted up a bunch of old Laughing Hyenas concerts and basement footage on YouTube just like last week or recently?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah they're they're coming out with like all this stuff and and I'm so glad um jack white uh reissued those albums through yeah. touch and go which yeah. means a lot to me because it's like john um you know i've been in i i've known John since 1983 mm-hmm. you know and it's like I knew about n a <laughs> negative approach um years back but the thing is is he was kind of apprehensive about like re releasing that stuff and I was like, Oh, come on, man. You guys were like one of the greatest fans ever. And then finally came to terms with, you know, they released it along with some um unreleased tracks, which I was glad to hear, you know, they did that. So
0: Yeah, I don't ever I buy mean, I don't ever can... buy reissues, but I bought all those. I got all those Hello? can you hear me?
2: Yeah, I can yeah. hear you.
0: No, I said I don't ever buy reissues, but I bought all those. They did a really good job at that.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. I was like very, very, very happy, you know, that it got reissued. But plus, the fact, um, <clears throat> I'm kind of digging through my files, especially like <clears throat> a lot of knife dance stuff. Um, I kind of like want to uh, maybe release some stuff we did with, uh, unfortunately, one of my buddies who was a knife dance, Andrew Lesica, he, right. he passed away like a couple weeks ago. What? And, um, yeah, Andrew uh, Leska. He's the first guitarist.
0: No, I know, I know. I'm sorry. He,
1: mm-hmm. he was also in the 98 version of Stepsister. Mm-hmm. And then he went in, Went on to, he did a solo thing called uh, St. Andrew, which was just him and his guitar playing blues music. And then he formed a band called Snake Handlers, which was like, I think, a three piece. Blues band I heard about I never got to see Unfortunately Um, But he Unfortunately He had some health problems Along the way So But his day came And it took him A couple weeks ago Which I was very sad to hear He was was,
2: When he was on
1: He was a very gifted guitarist And all that early Knife dance stuff Like songs Like uh, Catwalk Driven um, uh, What else God's Eye, I mean, he came up with all those incredible riffs, you know? Man. So, yeah, he he was definitely, he had the look and he had the, you know, he was definitely like a rock and roll blues guitarist. Like, his his early influence were, like, totally, like, Stooges, New York Dolls, Rolling Stones, I mean, just, he had all that early, early, you know, early, like, pre-punk. Glam, everything kind of influences. So he he, he came from that kind of like uh, background. So we were happy to have
2: him,
0: man, you know. But
1: sure. when, then we moved on with my brother, you know, which gave it more of a I don't know, metalish sound or hardcore sound, whatever you want to call it, you know. So we still stuck to our punk roots.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I miss Scott too, man, for sure. Why don't we take a quick musical break? I'm going to play the first song I ever heard from y'all. Word to Dan Allen, I'm pretty sure it's his fault, man. I got turned on to Knife Dance. Uh, let's, play, uh, let's play Catwalk. I'm pretty sure Catwalk was the first one. And we're going to come back, and I want to oh, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really get into some history with you, man. You're tuned in sure. to the Pusher podcast. I got Tom Dark on the line. This is the band Knife Dance. Not his first band, but this is the first song I ever heard from Knife Dance. It's called Catwalk. And I have like very vivid memories of y'all performing that song live. I, I saw I saw Knife Dance maybe more than any other band as a teenager for sure. Like you guys played with everybody. I saw you in Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Erie, Houston, mm-hmm. Austin. I think I went to Austin when y'all went to Austin. Uh, or maybe not. we went
1: to we did we went to Austin. We didn't play Austin. Right. That was on the so I the tour you. in '89.
0: Yeah, in '89, you stayed I, I, with me though. You stayed with me in Houston. You played the axiom.
1: Correct, correct.
0: And I just moved. To I Houston. think we
1: were sport- we played with uh, fearless Iranians from hell.
0: Oh my! <laughs> as God. As I recall, crazy. Yes, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, man, let's not mm-hmm. let's not get ahead of ourselves. I want to talk about you as a person, man. I was a kid, mm-hmm. probably fourteen, fifteen years old. The first time I saw you, and I booked the first show uh-huh. I booked. I was seventeen, but weren't you booking shows in Cleveland? You were like fourteen. Fifteen. Uh, you were
1: young. Uh, probably fifteen, as I recall.
0: Yeah, we
1: got influenced by um, <clears throat> at the time when I had my first band, The Dark. They we couldn't really get into clubs that mm-hmm. were like eighteen and over because we were like so young. But with Mike Hudson of the Pagans, uh, he managed The Dark for like a year. But then, man. About eighty two, yeah, about eighty two, eighty three um, that time period, hardcore came about, and some guys down in Akron, Vince Ranson and who's an artist and the band Zero Defects started putting on these shows called Club Hell, which was like an all ages kind of thing. And so we got the idea to like run out halls because like, well, we don't need bars you know, because we're like underage. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I started promoting shows with local bands. And then I brought in, um, uh, I did this one show, which got shut down. It actually was a benefit for, for this compilation album I put out in 1983 called the new hope,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, with negative approach, agnostic front cause for alarm from New York my band, The Dark, along with some, like, Soylent Green, who became later became No Pro with a new singer. Man. So we, we, I was doing hall shows throughout the years up until about maybe 89. I put on some other shows. We'll say Laughing Hyenas, Ignition with Alex Mackay, Chris Ball In the Face from D.C. I was um, at the
0: show y'all did at the Sonic Temple in Pittsburgh. It was Laughing Hyenas, Ignition, and Knife Dance.
1: Oh, that was a gr- that was a friggin' great show. That
0: was amazing. I so, remember
1: uh, the next day, yeah, that was the next, the next day we had Ignition. Um, in I did Cleveland? that Hall show with them. Yes, uh, okay. actually it was in a suburb of Cleveland, it was in South Euclid. Oh, okay. And um, uh, that was like, I can't even remember, that probably was like 89. We became friends with like all those bands, which I'm still friends with today. Mm-hmm. And everything, you know? So yeah, I started doing um, hall shows at an early age, and then.
0: But when you were like that, that, when girl, you were a little kid, when you were a kid, kid like a teenager, before doing the hall shows, I mean, were you seeing bands like the Pagans?
1: Um, I did see the Pagans. uh yes, at one point I believe that was '79, right. and I remember Jenny from that who ran the Jerome Record Store, who also managed the Pagans, he had a thing in Lakewood, Ohio, a west side suburb of Cleveland, called Destroy All Record Stores Party. And it was, he had the Pagans, he had the Kneecappers, he had Bernie and Invisibles, he had the Styrenes or Styrene Money, my God, and the Chronics. Mm -hmm. So I got to see all those bands for free. And uh, what stood out to me was um, the Pagans, and the kneecappers, and I remember those those. Th- a lot of people were pogoing, jumping up and down, kind of throwing bottles, things of that nature. So it was like that was like whoa, you know. And when at an early age, I used to go to the drum on a regular basis and just spend my money on punk rock singles and albums, whatever I could afford. And I still have that stuff to this day. Was
0: Chris Yarmack so. in the kneecappers?
1: Yes, he was. That was, his
0: original the band. Before, that was before the Easter Monkeys.
1: Correct. Believe it or not, the kneecappers were originally called the Dead Kennedys. What? And, yes, they were originally called the Dead Kennedys, and they had to change their name because at that time, most of the bar, bars around Cleveland were run by Irish guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> Irish Catholic guys. Right didn't take too kindly to a name like that, so they changed it to the kneecappers. And then, of course...
0: And the Irish were totally fine about a with year that. Later. They were like, yeah, we understand that. We understand that. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, so Jello. o uh, about a year later, all of a sudden there was a Dead Kennedys in uh, San Francisco. Huh. So I think he, he stole that name. I mean, he, I don't know if he would admit that or not. I've never seen an interviewer was like, yeah, we stole the name, but Basically, the name is a, about a death of a generation. Everything right. changed after John F. Kennedy got shot, or should I say, assassinated? Right. So uh, that's what it is. But yes, Chris was in the Neat Campers, and then he went on to uh, the Easter Monkeys, an all-star, <laughs> another great Cleveland band. Yes. Which I think around the country has been underrated, and I'm so glad uh, Hit and Run released the album Splendor of Sorrow. Along with the um, uh, Smogdale Records, which has the original mix. My On Hit and Run, it was remixed, but I think the original mix was better, which Smogdale did a great job along with the DVD. of uh, One of their rare performances, I believe that was uh, shot at the Cleveland Agora when they opened up for X from Los Angeles. They were on tour. I remember that
0: show too. And Charlie was in that so band who later we came in, uh, joined Knife Dance
1: correct um it just it just turned out that the eastern monkeys were you know kind of on their last leg mm-hmm. and my band the dark was on their last leg so Charlie approached me about um forming a band with him and I was in awe because the eastern monkeys were were one of my favorite bands and he had been in a band called the impaliers oh. uh before the eastern monkeys And these guys were like in the early stages of punk, you know, punk rock. So when you're younger, you're looking up to these guys. You're just like, uh, and at that time we had no guitar player. It was just David Mm Araka who was in the dark with me. And then from there, um, I think Sean Saley, who, Later went on to uh you know government issue um da, 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 what else oh pentagram mm. uh, but in the in the early days of hardcore he was in star the original starvation army Man. um agitated just to name a few Anyways, David, it was kind of like one of those back and forth things where David quit, Sean took over, then Sean got the call to join government ministry. So he left, David came back. And then eventually, because he left, I believe, um, he didn't like playing really out of town shows. He you know, like, didn't like traveling. We put in an ad and we got Aunt Petty, Anthony Petty. And so with that came, um, Andrew Lessica, we put an ad in the paper, and he had just come back from L.A. Fascinating character because he was in a band called Terminal Vermin that was in Bowling Green. And believe it or not, they played one of their first shows with Negative Approach, The Necros, in Todd Swallow's basement at his mom's. So that's before those guys started getting in the clubs and everything. But uh, getting back to turmoil vermin, eventually they moved out of Bowling Green, Ohio, and moved to Los Angeles, California. So they were there when the germs and the early formation of Black Flag and all that stuff was happening. So um, he played uh, with with some guys that later became the Fiends. They put out an album. They had that song "Bob Hope is Dead." You're mm-hmm. um, uh, the chicks from L Seven? uh los angeles l seven um, trying to think there's there is, he had, he had so many stories about the mask of Canterbury apartments and all that kind of stuff out there they kind of knew the characters oh he also played in um if you check on new wave theater mm. um he was he played guitar in that band dead hippie Damn. so he's on that version of it yeah. So Andrew kind of had some history going on and, and everything. But he came back to Cleveland, answered her ad, and I remember meeting him at the Fantasy Nightclub. And he had the look, good-looking guy, very, you know, he was dressed very rock and roll, boots on, jeans. He was a very tall guy. and um, But he had definitely rock and roll riffs. And uh, he was in a knife dance. 1985 and 87, and then he kind of disappeared. We decided to move on, and I think at the time my brother was in False Hope, and it was either he your brother quit in, or he not know
0: your brother was in False Hope.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of people that were in False Hope.
0: Yeah, because my the guys brother was in playing, a lot of bands. Late, not to jump ahead because I want to I want to stay sort of in order. But the guys who who came in on the stocking ground seven h weren't they also in false hope?
1: Yes, that would have been uh Sam and Chris Smith. Right. Um they yeah, they were in false hope. Actually yeah. there was there was some people that are in and out. I think they had David Rock was in false hope, I believe. Greg Nkasi. Um but he then, he, he, that was like one of those in and out, like my brother was in it.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: played on um, one of their first demos and then he either quit or they wanted to move on and get a new guitar player or whatever the, whatever the reason being. So right. um, I never got involved in that and I well, never really got the full story and what happened with that. So I asked my brother to play a knife dance and he was free and he's like, sure. He just wanted to join the band, and he was happy, happily joining Knife Dance. So that was like about eighty-seven.
0: And which he was a, in which knife I don't dance think I arena. saw Knife Dance without your brother. So I mean, until he quit. But like I, or I saw. Uh, I never saw Dave Rocker. I don't think era Knife Dance.
1: No, he was in Knife Dance briefly. Okay, he played on one demo we did. Um. Gary Luper called another gentleman. that um, He was in the Kneecappers, passed away. He did it on a two or four track. I still have and that's something I want to release because mm-hmm. I have that demo with Andrew and David Rock on drums. Then I have a full-length album that we did at uh, Great Tracks Recording Studio, um, which most of those songs are on that uh first uh 12 inch EP we released called Who Then Is Saint.
0: Yeah. Well so, man, I want to I, I want us to get back. I want to talk about the dark. I want to talk about the guns and then want to get into knife dance, but we talked about the Easter Monkeys. Why don't we play Cheap mm-hmm. Hair? Well, let's play Cheap Hair. and take a quick musical break and uh come mm-hmm. back and then we're going going to keep going right down the line. You are tuned into the okay. Mania podcast, Real Talk with Matt Sanzala and Tom Dark. This is something Uh, Tom was not in this band the Easter Monkeys but he first of course turned me on to uh, to this band and released their uh, only album before Smogvale released the uh, full package on CD this is a song called Cheap Heroin Man, dude, I cannot. Im- I always. I I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, not far from Cleveland. So I was fortunate enough to be able to come down when I was a, a, mm-hmm. a certain age. I would, could go to Peabodys and places like that. But I can't even imagine like growing up your age in Cleveland, the seventies and eighties. Like, what was the first punk show you saw?
1: Ooh, first punk show. If you want to consider it a punk show, I think the pu- first punk show I ever saw was. Believe it or not, um, I was in sixth grade Man. and my first thing was The Stooges. What? And Yes. Well, no, I didn't see The Stooges, but Iggy Pop was coming.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I really wanted to see Iggy Pop. And that's when he came out of The Stooges and he released The Idiot with mm-hmm. David Bowie uh, launching, relaunching his career.
2: Right.
1: And so... I wanted to see Iggy Pop. So my dad says, okay, you want to see this guy? I'll take you down there, but you got to earn, you know, good grades in order to see him. Mm -hmm. And it was like really funny because my dad told me later, he goes, I was just interested in what you wanted to see and why you were so interested in this. And it was like really funny because he heard about Iggy Pop and the whole Stooges thing. And he was like, I'm not staying for the show. If this guy cuts himself up with glass or you know, punctures himself with drumsticks or vomits on stage or whatever it is. And I'm like, okay. So we went and I remember, uh, there was a lot of guys still, um, in high, like, you know, platforms and stuff that had like David Bowie t-shirts on because David Bowie was playing on keyboards. And I remember, on that show. damn. And so we're in a small club and Blondie opened up. She was on her first tour and they had just released X offerings. And so she came out and she was great. And then came and sat in the audience and I was a table over from her. And she looked, she was sitting there with a boyfriend, Chris Stein, the guitar player. And of course she looked beautiful and everything.
0: And then, In sixth grade, in sixth grade, if I was anywhere near Debbie Harry, I would have had a heart attack. Literally, a little kid, (laughs) a little kid has a heart attack right on the ground, just right on the ground, just Uh,
1: dead. Oh yeah, I I was sitting like to me, I was like, oh my god, you know, it's like she just came out of the audience, sat down. I mean, she looked, she still looks great to this day. Yeah, that's my first first love
0: for sure. It was my first love. Oh
1: yeah, (laughs) Uh, but um. It was uh, Iggy Pop with the Hunt Sale, the Hunt Brothers, should I say, Soupy Sales Kids wow. on, what was it? Um, I don't know, bass and drums. And they, I think they hit this guy, Rick Gardner, I think on guitar, if I have that correct, with David Bowie on drums. And of course, they're playing the riffs of Raw Power. And the Iggy Pop comes out and is like, man, that was like. Just seeing him do what he did, just the way he moved his body, the way he sang, everything was, to me, was like, I want to be like that guy. I want to do what that guy does. Because it was so hypnotizing to watch. It was amazing to watch. And you know what? I remember I got my ears blown out a little bit, and my dad actually stayed for the Encores, and he was hypnotized by it, too. I remember the last thing we saw he did an encore thing was I Want to Be Your Dog and he was doing like, you know, he's tumbling on the stage and hauling and all this kind of stuff and um, my dad said at the end of the night, he goes, now that guy's a performer. He knows how to perform. Man. I remember just going back in the car, back to my house, my ears ringing and everything and I was just like, totally was like, it was so worth it to see it. So I guess I, I could say that was actually my punk show if you want to consider that a punk show. But hey, you know he's considered the godfather of punk. I mean, what more could you? Yeah, that's you about, he to me, he 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 was the guy that paved the way for everything they're all doing today. Everything. With you know he, you know what I'm saying? It's a, it, it. Think about it. You know, yeah. it's just like he had the guts to go out and do what he did, and he did it at a time where nobody was doing that stuff. So he was ahead of his time. And look at the albums the Stooges did. Look at some of his solo albums he's done. I think the idiot, especially Lust for Life, are fantastic albums. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was a big deal. I mean, I'm, you know, Funhouse by the Stooges is one of my all-time favorite albums. I know everybody. I still I like Raw Power too, but Funhouse to me had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yep, and that is a phenomenal album in my book. And it was so ahead of its time. It's like, whoa, man. You know, so. So I would say him and like somebody like uh, Alice Cooper. Believe it or not, my mom turned me on to Alice Cooper.
0: Yeah, mine so true. My
1: fans did too. Oh, uh, I loved Alice Cooper. And I'm talking about the group. Yep. And I, I, I like some of the solo stuff. But uh, I remember I went out the next day and the very first Alice Cooper album I thought was easy action. Mm-hmm. which was like a really weird album, you know, cause killer is the main thing with all the hits
0: and everything on it. But, right, but the first two records, Frank example, was... put out, for example, about those first two records. And when it was Alice Cooper was the band and that was a totally different Alice Cooper than what it became.
3: Oh yeah. But I, oh, can't, yeah. I can't, front, yeah. Like, I
0: got in love. Alice Cooper was my first concert was kiss at the Richfield Coliseum in 79. on like their worst, mm-hmm. al- their worst album tour on the stupid dynasty tour. My first show was kiss, but then I saw Alice Cooper, with my mom right after that. Mm-hmm. And wow! And I was eight, you know. <laughs> seven, I was seven when I saw you Case think... and eight when I saw Alice Cooper. Um, but the first yeah, two yeah, records were, were too early for me. I was too young to, to be hip to the first two records till later in life.
1: <laughs> same here, same here. I mean, some some people, you know, will be like, that was your first Alice Cooper album. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, they, I think they were building up what they later became, Mm -hmm. you know, because they were just to me so far out there along with like, you know, Stooges and David Bowie and everything, you know, I'm going to give a reference, um, to my wife, uh, gary ellen as she's known on the airwaves on wcsb cleveland state 89.3 I,
0: I listen to wcsb um, i listen to her and to derek show. oh yeah Sometimes.
1: oh yeah. yeah she she saw she actually saw the stooges and Slade back in the day and she saw kiss open up for the new york dolls
2: what? okay
1: and yeah oh yeah So, if you ever want to interview her separately, she could tell you tales, you know?
2: Man.
1: So, um, and, you know, she remembers things like, you know, she was there when the police came to Kent at this place of Rathskeller when they did their famous so called tour in that um, station wagon. So, I, I did not see that. You know, I'm just bringing up like early stuff because it's like funny now because kids that get in the black flag are like, you saw black flag. I'm like, yeah, we saw black flag, you know, and mm-hmm. we saw the original circle jerk. So we saw this or negative approach, you know, but mm-hmm. or the original members, but every generation will see different things, yep. you know, um, there's still good bands out there and, and people, uh, you know, I still go kind of by, you know, I really like, I'm glad, John's doing the negative approach thing.
0: It's crazy because um, it's it crazy because that could be that could go. I mean, if it wasn't John, I mean, the human being that he is, man, it could go so wrong. Like to see negative approach now raging as hard as they mm-hmm. rage, it's so good. Still, mm-hmm. it's so good. It's not maybe not 1982, but it goes so hard. They destroy. it like I've seen the negative approach like six times as an adult, mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. always killer. But then you know what I did. Oh, do? I know it. You know what I didn't do? Mm-hmm. Like I, I've been talking about this a little bit. You know, in this last year, I've I kind of already self isolated before all this shit happened. I kind of was like, I'm sick of going out. I'm sick of all this shit here. You know what I mean? Like Austin, I don't want to go out to all this. And negative approach played, and they were playing in a room that was a hundred capacity, and I was like on a Sunday and I was like, man, I should go see them. I should go say hello. But then I was like, man, it's somebody's going to die in that little ass room and I'm lazy. It's Sunday. Mm-hmm. Man, that was the mm-hmm. night Jay mask played with them. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know I missed it. I mean, that happened before, but that happened in other places too, but it happened here in Austin. So that's what it makes me think, like, uh-huh. you know, don't miss these opportunities. And right now this whole, this whole situation has got me thinking more and more and more about that. But Man, just, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, I'm one of those kids who said that to you back in the day. I was like, I didn't get to see Black Flag, but that was another thing when Flag played with Keith on the vocals, mm-hmm. and they, they played a Sound on Soundfest here in Austin. I was like, these dudes are pushing, mm-hmm. these dudes are 60. You know what I mean? They're pushing oh, yeah. 60 and killing it. They, they destroyed, like, they destroyed. That show was so good. Yeah, I just, I think it's
1: great. I, I think it's great that, Bands are getting back together or reuniting, whatever, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. scary Ellen, my wife and I saw flag. Yeah. Nothing. I'm dissing Greg Ginn's version of what he calls black flag. There's I don't no know. Comparison. Whatever. No comparison.
0: No comparison. Well, yeah, oh yeah. There's no, there You're is no comparison.
1: It, but, no. but flag, you know, was like, I thought was great. You know, it's just like, you know, of course, you know, I have memories like when they came out with, um, you know, Henry. And then there's like the you know, some people saw him with Des in the early days. And, uh, Des was still an amazing guy. Cause I, like, you know, I saw him, you know, misfits, you know, with Jerry only. And, um, but the thing is, it, it was great, but it was like so weird because scary and I were standing at the back of the bars at the grog shop, which was a Cleveland Heights, East side suburb of Cleveland. And, um, there's people there that were like, had read about them or knew about them, but had never seen them. So they're coming out of the pit like pounding their chest, and they're like Black Flag and all screaming all this kind of stuff. And to me, it's just like you know, not that I'm saying I'm better than them, but I saw them. They're you know, they're just. It was just like I could tell them listening to Black Flag was like the first time I heard Black Flag. You know, what I'm saying that like holy shit, this is like groundbreaking.
0: It me. was groundbreaking. Tell me about because the first time you saw them.
1: First time I saw them, well, originally, The Dark was supposed to open up for Black Flag, which we did play the show in Wadsworth, Ohio. It was in an old movie theater. Mm-hmm. And Vince Rance, the promoter artist, put it on. Unfortunately, Black Flag's van broke down. Damn. Um, in Canada. So they didn't make the show but all the local bands play. um there's Oppie or Zero Defects Agitated. uh jeez I'm trying to think if I were to see I, it had to be at the pop shop um in downtown Cleveland mm-hmm. which was originally called The Mistake now when it was The Mistake um at that time there was like you could not you, they didn't have all ages there and mm-hmm. that's when Dev came I remember the adults open up and uh I couldn't get into that show but I had heard about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, it was like one of those things where I was underage, I was like, Man, I wish I'd go, blah blah blah. But then they changed singers because Dez wanted to uh play such a guitar, so they got Henry. And I knew about Henry. I knew about SOA and his original band and mm-hmm. So that's why I went to see him and I thought, you know with Henry I mean, I like all the versions of uh uh, a black flag. Uh, you know, some people like uh, like Des better. And they they thought Henry ruined it or something. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, Henry he worked his ass off to do what he had to do. You know, and he put up with a lot of shit. But to me, he's he's a very in your face front man. You know, and I do like Henry. I I never got to see Black Flag. You know, with with Keith Morris or anything. But that I was I wasn't living out in L.A. No, no. And no, no. I didn't see him with Des, but I just saw him with Henry until the very end. So uh, it exactly. had to be at the pop shop, you know. Right. But those guys, besides their sound, that whole touring thing, they open up the door for touring. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't know anything about touring. It's just like find a phone number, find a hall, find a club. You had all those listings of Max Roll. Where you had this networking system where people wrote letters. You know, so it's like, call this guy, ask this guy, he'll put on a show for you. You know, and you're just like, okay, buy a van, go out, da, 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 da. You know, you, you kind of like were learning as you went along the way. Mm-hmm. And the dark, my first band, as far as we went anywhere, you know, around Northeast Ohio, the farthest we went was maybe uh, Pittsburgh. And then, like, Athens, Ohio. Athens, Ohio, that's a really long drive from Cleveland. That was, like, our last show, I believe. Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, knife dance, we did two tours, one in 88 and one in 89. Yep. We we're supposed to do a third tour in 90, but unfortunately, uh, we, didn't do it because the members didn't want a tour or something. It was at the last minute. It was like very strange. Right. And so that's when I put an end to knife dance. So, so, um, but I just, like I said, it was just like, for for some odd reason, black flag was like, they did all this stuff and it was just like, okay, you want to do this? This is how you do it. And so we're like, I think that's what opened up the doors for everybody. You know,
0: man, for real,
1: you know? Yeah, yeah. That's really? that's what I think. I mean, back then, even like I was reading about the Pagans, mm-hmm. They, I mean, they they did out-of-town shows, but it was like they didn't have a van. They they just got in their cars and just drove, which is like funny now because I'm kind of like in that, you know, if we do play out-of-town, that's what I'm doing. We don't have a van. Black Static Guy, that's my new van.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, but touring... Touring is definitely like a very, it's an experience, but it's a very hard thing. You know, to me, touring is just like a blur. You just drive, drink a lot of coffee, if if that's your thing, and you get there, wait around, and you get in the club, you do your sound check, there's a lot of waiting around, then you play, and then after that, you know, in between, talk to people, sell some merchandise better if you have it, Mm -hmm. get paid, whatever money you can get or if you have a because you get the wrong and then you crash somewhere and then move on to the next town the next day. Right. And that's that's the way I remember it in eighty
0: eight and eighty nine. So yeah, it was a lot it, uh, it was a lot more organic back then, but I still look I still tour this to this day with Devin the dude over in Europe a bit and it's it's that process. Get up, get to the next city, wait around the show Mm -hmm. (laughs) every day, but it's it's part of my livelihood. I love it, man. I love staying on the road. Now, man, I'm looking at, I've got your, uh, the two CD set of the dark, you know, this is before Mm -hmm. my time. I didn't know what I, you know, I'm looking at the pictures in here and you and a young Robert Griffin, man, y'all look like, (laughs) I mean, this is, this is like the straight up, you guys you guys must have been either the cool kids in high school or the kids that nobody would talk to. I can't tell. <laughs> I mean, Cleveland was a rock and roll town. We, they might have liked you. You might have been liked it. In certain cities, I bet you guys would have been the kids that nobody understood.
1: I think... I don't think we were the cool kids. <laughs> I think we were like uh, kids, uh, kids that were like our own kind of world that nobody knew about. Right. That's what I think. Exactly. Because... The bands we liked, and you have to remember, punk rock and hardcore later were such a foreign thing to kids. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we're in the we're in the suburbs, and we're around either kids that are popular, crappy kids, things of that nature. And you had like maybe some you know burnout kids, and you listen to your Black Sabbath, your Led Zeppelin, that kind of thing, Chicken Chong albums. Mm-hmm. Which we could relate to, but the stuff we I mean, nobody knew what we were about or what what we're talking about, what we're listening to. I mean everything for the dark was everything was involved in music, we talked about music, we collected music, everything was about that. Mm-hmm. And so in my opinion, Robert Griffin was a friggin' genius Man. because he put the majority of those songs together with lyrics. The way it was played, my brother and David contributed to, like, you know, any kind of bass things you hear of the dark. That would be all my brother came up with those riffs. I wrote some lyrics, um, but Robert wrote the majority of the lyrics. And we combined a punk hardcore sound mixed with a lot of, like, gothy death rock stuff. We, like, for some odd reason, we, like, really, well, at that time, we really liked horror movies. And we liked, um, we liked 45 Grave, the first Christian Death album, and we liked that one TSOL, um, Dance with Me, I believe it was called, uh, album, and we liked that element. So Robert knew how to, like, combine that stuff. And it just listening to it now is, like, incredible to me. And the, the fact that how, Young Scott and David were when they were in that band. I mean, we we're Robert and I were like young, but these kids were like,
2: yeah,
1: twelve, thirteen when they were in that band. So it was just like, and we pulled out a, we wrote a lot of fucking
2: songs. So it was so like is that, whoa, that, that picture you
0: know? on the the picture in the living room, um, mm-hmm. that, on the back of the cover of the booklet is mm-hmm. that is that Scott on bass? Yes. Oh my god! That and my
1: my brother. My brother played bass in the dark. He mm-hmm. played guitar and knife dance. And then he played drums in uh, Stepsister. So he was an all-around musician. He and was in the guns, too, say, right? Correct. He played guitar. He and David Araka, who were also in the dark, yep. um, they formed the guns at the same time.
2: Okay, Almost
1: in a way that guns were together before the dark because they, um, my brother and David Araka they were both like partners in crime basically. That Scott and my brother that was his, his best friend, um partners in crime, Amazing. kind of thing. They jammed together. You know, Dave was always on drums. My brother is always on guitar. He would a little bit, I think, on bass, but but then by eighty two, um, then they were doing the dark thing, you know, with us, but they wanted to do a little side thing of theirs, which later became the dark. I mean, mm-hmm. the, what am I saying? The guns that's, that became the guns. And yep. so from there on out, they, you know, they went from a two piece to a three piece with Sean Saley. And then near the end, they added Scott Solman and Bob Reese to the band, which became more of a, yeah, metalish sound. I think that's like when the crossover stuff, like, you know, when Metallica came along and you kind of listen. you know, they would listen to Venom and um, mm-hmm. Celtic Frost and all that kind of stuff. They were, like, into it. The more you learn your instrument, you're like, oh, well, we want to do this now. So that became, like, thrash metal crossover stuff.
0: Right, right. You know? Yeah. Did- so, now, I have, like I said, I have the, the dark, re- the package, the CD package, but did y'all, y'all know you were on some compilations, but did y'all ever release an album or a tape back then?
1: No. Uh, we were to, we were going to release an album, which is the majority of the studio recording here from Island Recording Studios, which we did in North Royalton, um, basically before that thing was released, we we're on a bunch of compilations. We were on, a, there's more cassette tape. We were on the Cleveland confidential um, album, which Mike Hudson put out. Um, and then later after we broke up, we we're on that. Uh, they told us rocks and garbage, which, um, so that was a good spin magazine at the time reviewed and gave us a good review.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that was one you, so you could actually find You can find that in record stores, even in Erie. That was that was definitely around. That was a, that was a good record.
1: Mm-hmm. Most yeah. definitely. It's just that uh, I thank Brian from Grand Theft Audio, the label, he put out hardcore stuff from that time period in the '80s. That somehow he tracked down my number. I picked up the phone. I'm like, "Hello." He's like, "Hi, this is Tom Garth." I'm like, "Yes." He's like, "This is Brian from Grand Theft." Grant Theft audio now. taken my, I had never heard of his label. I, you know, when you think of Grant up audio, kind of think of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I think he spells it differently. Well, he was interested in. Uh, he talked to me about the New Hope, but he was interested in the bands that were on the New Hope, like Zero Defects, Offbeat, Agitated. But then he talked to me about the dark, and it just so happened at the time. It, the relationship was like, okay, I want to, I want to do a dark CD. So I'm like, okay. So I sent him everything I had. And this went on for a while. And then he finally released the double CD, which I think is incredible. And then he wanted to do the guns, but unfortunately, uh, the CD market took a nose dive. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of like, eh, at the last minute, he kind of like wanted to do it on vinyl. But then he decided, I, I believe at that time, he had put out like something like 43 releases. That's a lot of releases for a guy just doing this on his own, mm-hmm. you know, and dealing with bands from the past, digging up stuff. So um, I know The Dark did do a reunion in the summer of 2006 for the Cleveland Screaming, I, would, right. I, I guess you could say concert series. So, um,
0: and that's when the CD unfortunately David
1: Araka, pardon,
0: I think that's when the CD came out. I think that's when the the, the compilation, yes,
1: yes, it was basically, basically, it was, uh, we got the call to do the reunion. Unfortunately, David Araka had died around like the middle of the 90s, I believe it was 94, and then, um, I didn't think Robert was going to do it because he's presently living in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Um, He's married. He has a daughter. Um, But uh, Sean Saley, in honor of David O'Rourke, decided to do it. So getting back to the CD, that was kind of like the Cleveland Screaming Concert was kind of like our CD release party, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So it was good because we played. I I thought the show was great, and plus the fact you could buy the CD, of uh, all these unreleased recordings because only people knew our just our name and the compilations we we're on. That was it. Right. So um,
0: well, why don't we play something off uh scream until we die? I don't know. I, fire in the church always stands out to me.
1: <laughs> it's a great song. People, a lot of, a lot of people like that song or you could play screeching metal okay. or you could put, put your hand through the plow, whatever you want to play. Why don't you we know, play do two songs? Let's play
0: Fire in the Church and Screeching Metal. Why not? We're tuned in okay. to Pusher Mania Podcast, Real Talk with Matt Sinzala, and Tom Dark is on the line. We're getting closer and closer. Some of my folks in Erie might be listening. We're getting closer to them knife dance days. We're going to get back and uh, reminisce some more. After these two songs, y'all keep it locked.
3: A forgotten grave This is an accident This is an accident A tan and white The things will bleed And I can feel There are the gold Crackling sound Of a church and round And flames Let's
0: Seriously, it's great to talk talk to you, brother, for real. Cause uh, I don't know. Oh, same here, man. I'm sure you sort of know, but like you know, meeting you when I was at the age I was and seeing Knife Dance and following you guys around was a big inspiration for me. You know what I mean? Like seeing how you guys were doing it, how Cleveland did it. Uh You know, I lived in Erie. We had to go to you know out of town to see uh, touring shows, and I was lucky enough to one day uh, my three scum from Erie. They put together Mm -hmm. an all-ages show at a place called the Continental Ballroom. Before that, I know Tex and the Horseheads played Erie. That was before my time. Uh, There wasn't a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. But then uh, we'd see the local bands. Like Larry Weaver had a band called FOD. That was about the generation where I was able to start going to see shows. And uh, when I went to that show at the Continental Ballroom, a bunch of people showed up. It was uh, My Three Scum, Lost, and a band called Backwash. And uh, mm-hmm. just three local bands before that, like you'd go see heavy metal cover bands in a church basement or something, you know, like if you were going to mm-hmm. were a teenager going out to see some music, that was about the only option. And uh, mm-hmm. man, I asked the guy who actually, the guy, Paul Yachlan, who owned the continental ballroom, he passed in December. And, uh,
1: mm-hmm. well, I'm sorry to hear that.
0: Yeah, it sucks, man. I would, I always wanted to see him again and-, and thank him too, because I I just walked up to him and thought to myself, man, I just said to him, if I could bring some touring shows here, would would you would I be able to rent this place out? He's like, You think you can do that? I said, Yeah, I think so. And it was right about the time I had already known you and seen you probably five or six times, just known you from, you know, mm-hmm. going to shows and buying t-shirts and records and things. But uh mm-hmm. I had written a letter and I had met John Brandon just buying a t-shirt from when they opened up for Croyton and Sonic Youth at Peabody's. And then I might have mm-hmm. seen I've seen him a couple of times after that. But I wrote him a letter, probably ordered a T-shirt or something from them. And Mm -hmm. me and my friend Mike and Rich, we were thinking about starting a fanzine. And I wrote him a letter saying, you know, would you ever be interested in doing an interview? And he wrote back with, you know, whatever we ordered, I ordered from him. He wrote back and he said, yeah, just call me anytime. He put his phone number. And I was standing Mm -hmm. there, sitting there looking at Mike like, he's like, call him. I'm like, I can't call John Brannon. He's like, just call him. And I was like, "Hey, man, if we could do a show, you know, if you guys are coming around Cleveland or Pittsburgh or Buffalo, we'd love to bring you to Erie." And this was—it was, I, it was mm-hmm. like six months in advance. Like they were like, "Yeah, man, it's gonna be like April." It was April 9th, nineteen eighty-nine, mm-hmm. and then I, you know, I, they they had, uh, they said they would do it. I called you, and uh, mm-hmm. I had seen that band Lost with uh, with my three scum, and I liked them a lot. And just that was the beginnings of my first show. But really, that all, you know, watching you and watching how independent things were happening at the. At the Sonic Temple in Pittsburgh, at, you know, the different bars in Cleveland, the places, you know, I, I saw you in Buffalo before, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, just random places, and you were, like, a big inspiration to me getting started and doing oh. any of this.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much. I mean, I think everybody, when they do things, you know, we're trying to give back, as as I would say, to you know, to a community of people to come out. I'm I'm just grateful that, for instance, that we play live and people come not come out to see us, or we re- we re- release something. And back then, you got mail orders like Knife Genius, For instance, we got mail orders from all over the world. You know, and in my mind, I'm like, who the hell would know about us? You know, we're just some little band in Cleveland. We weren't like gigantic, like we weren't Minor Threat or you know major Approach, like huge in my in my book, huge or Bad Brains, for instance. Mm -hmm. And people bought a records and loved it, you know, and we're happy to do that. And as I as we're like, you know, say going to Erie, Pennsylvania and meeting you, I mean we're friends to this day. And I just want to give a shout out to Erie, Pennsylvania. The people there are very close to my heart and are very supportive in anything and everything I've done. And I still go up to shows there like my last thing before Black Static, I was Dead Federation. We played up there. That was more of like a horror punk thing I was doing. Mm-hmm. And people, people love that, you know? And, you know, like Orbit Rob and, and you know, his wife and all these people showed up and everything. And, and it was just like, every time I go teary, I have a great time. I always have a phenomenal time up there. Same with Pittsburgh. So, You do really have a friend in in Pennsylvania, (laughs) Uh so to speak. You really, you really do.
0: That's easy. You know, and I've
1: known you for forever, man.
2: Forever. I just,
1: I remember. Oh my god! I remember spending time in Erie with you. I remember coming down to Houston. I remember like when we're like over at your your father's place, we're having some mac and cheese, watching uh, MTVs, like. (laughs) Uh, what is it? Headbangers ball
2: yeah.
1: or yo MTV raps and stuff like that. I mean, that, I mean, the thing is, is it's just a fact that you get to experience things. And you know, it's like moments like that will always stick in my mind. You know, it's just like some, somebody may, they might have a negative kind of thing, be like, big deal. You went. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand, dude. It's the mere fact you get to do it. You get up, you get to do it, get up every day and do things or here I'm talking to you to this very day, mm-hmm. you know? I know we've lost some people along the way. A lot. But I was grateful to play with my brother, with David Araka, with Andrew Lesica, or see people, you know, that had a major impact on my life, you know? Mm-hmm. For instance, I there's some people, like, for instance, like like uh, Iggy Pop. He's still alive and still
0: doing it. I still listen to him. Uh, he's got uh, a badass radio show on BBC Six Music. Sometimes he oh hasn't yeah, been on a it. but yeah. it's a great show.
1: Hmm. I mean, I believe it. I mean, I think. I think it, you know. He's still carrying. On. I. I didn't think you know. I didn't think David Bowie would pass before him. Not that I want the Pop to pass away. It's right. just that, or for instance, I. I would you know like uh, we thought Lemmy from Motorhead was going to go on forever.
2: Yep. You
1: know, but um. But that guy is, is you know, it, I think these people come and they influence our lives or give us some joy or something to be happy about. And for you to do the same thing by passing on the torch, there's a reason why everything is going on. You know, it's like, I know we're going through this coronavirus thing and some people diss it and think it's a hoax or have conspiracy theories. But we're going to get through this like anything else. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll, everything will pass. It's not a permanent thing, you know? And to me, this is a time for opportunity, you know? I'm not going to sit here and bum on. I'm still going to live my life, you know? And look Mm -hmm. at the, you know, I'm talking to you right now. You're still alive. I'm on your podcast. I'm married to a wonderful woman. I like my band. I I like waking up, you know? It's just, you know, exercising, feeling good, reading books, you know? Like, um... I, had, I got a text from John Brennan last week. You yeah. know, that means a lot to me. I talked to Jeff Clayton of nice. you know, on the phone. He's doing great. One band that'll probably go on in history more than the Ramones. And those guys like, are unbelievable. I can't believe they're still playing. They're putting out product, everything. And plus the fact, unfortunately, Joe Young, the guitarist passed away. Yeah. They have a new guitarist. If Jeff Clayton passes away, there's a, Talking about carrying on as anti scene with the new singer, which I can't believe. Wow. I mean, these guys will probably go into outer space for all I know. Yeah, you know that to me is amazing. But anyway, sorry if I'm getting off the subject. You no, know?
0: well, no, it's great. I mean, but, uh, talking about Erie, it's like I tell bands and rappers all the time. I'm like, you know, you need to look at these cities like Tyler, Texas, or whatever Erie, Pennsylvania, and understand mm-hmm. that there's a lot of kids and a lot of people in these places. Like. We I went to any heavy metal show that played, and I liked a lot of metal, of course, too, but I went to every show because we had literally nothing else to do. There's still cities where the kids, man, they're so hungry mm-hmm. for it, man. I mean, I talk about Houston rap all the time, and like, Houston was a very supportive city of its own music, but if it mm-hmm. if they weren't coming out to Waco and Colleen which Killeen's one of the biggest mm-hmm. military bases in the country. Like people from all over the country were stationed there going to these shows, seeing these, these groups that nobody else heard of, taking it back home, to, mm-hmm. you know, DJ screw mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. It's the mm-hmm. same thing with punk rock, man. Like when we used to tour shit, I'm sure knife dance is the same thing, man. Like we tour with lost back in the day. i still, mm-hmm. I don't even remember some of the little cities in North Carolina and South Carolina and Florida. You know, we played Orlando and Tampa and, and in New Orleans and stuff like that. But we also played Mobile, Alabama, and weird little spots in the Carolinas, and you know, just wherever we could get it in, wherever there was a, some kids that wanted to see a show. And that's where I mean, for that, me, that's where it's at.
1: Yeah, we we played we played some cities. Like I mean, obviously we did the underground thing. We showed up. We did not know what we're getting involved with. We were playing with bands that are all you know new to us. I'm talking I'm talking mainly the Knife Dance tours. Mm-hmm. But there would be somebody in whatever town in whatever state that would promote this, whether it be in a club, a hall, whatever somebody's backyard. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we would do it. Um, the whole thing was with each state, if we could, we wanted to fill up that date. It mm-hmm. didn't matter. if The guy was like, okay, you got to show up this parking lot. We've got this thing, you know, like we, I have bands here. Da, 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 da. We do it. I'm we're, we're like, okay, that's cool. Fine. Whatever. We'll show up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it wasn't like, and we knew, I mean, some places were fucking gigantic crowd of people. Sometimes there weren't, there were maybe like 10 people there, if that, you know, or sometimes we had a few, a few shows where the promoter would like just leave. He's like, you know, we're just like, uh, we had this in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Like literally we drove out and the promoter showed, shut up in talks and He goes, hi, I'm a promoter. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I have to go to, well, to a wedding. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, who's in charge? And uh, it was like, and then the guy just left. And I think that day he put up literally a flyer on a brick wall in front of the movie theater, you know, and that just left. And like some carbs was like, okay, you know, and we, I think we had another thing like that. and Mm -hmm. Somewhere in New Jersey or maybe somewhere in Massachusetts. I probably was in New Jersey. We showed up and, it was in a club, a nice club, and I think the promoter just, like, freaking just left or something in the middle of her set, like, you know, like, I guess he, what, whatever, and I mean, we still got paid, but it was just weird. Like, okay, where's the promoter? Well, he just left. I'm like, okay, well, are we going to get paid or something? Um, yeah, I guess. Here's 50 bucks, if that, you know? <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah. It's always like one of those kind of deals. and oh, that's crazy now. And, you the, way, know,
0: the way they do they tour now, though, they've got all these analytics and all these different things and ways they find to get the tickets to the people. And then they they you can monitor on social media and stuff whether or not this guy's promoting or not. Back then, you pull it in the city, you didn't know if this dude put up a flyer or what. You didn't know what was about. I want idea. to
1: ask. What's that? I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Um. Unlike touring, you know, and this and that, when you. Do you miss I mean the way things are now, like, let's be honest with each other. People who think punk rock, like when you had a band like I hate to say unfortunately, like Green Day, for instance, mm-hmm. and it's like, Okay, punk rock. It's just kinda like, okay, we're the bands. It's 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 safe to like dress up your and you're your I guess hot topic punk mm-hmm. so to speak. Well that to me is not punk it's fashionable but it's not I guess there's no danger element Mm. to it or there's no mystique element to it you know
0: my daughter's about to turn 18 Um, next month but not just a a quick aside my daughter's about to turn 18 next month one of my proudest moments in life she was in like 6th grade and she's like Mm -hmm. daddy all these kids at school think they're so punk they're so not punk Mm -hmm. (laughs) like all these like screaming sirens type bands and and the green day but that's the thing this happened with hip hop as well. I mean, it's probably it's happened with all kinds of music. I mean, when when Green Day blew up, that is a good example because first of all, I hated Green Day from day one. I never was really into that Bay Area stuff. There's a few bands, but there wasn't a lot that I really liked about like pop punk. There was a couple. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the Descendants. Okay, fine. That's a that's a whole other level. But like, I thought Green Day mm-hmm. and that shit was some garbage from day one. And I always mm-hmm. say like, if I really love your music, you probably have no chance of ever making it uh big mm-hmm. but if I hate you, you' probably you're probably going to be the next big thing but, um, I remember interviewing Mike Watt about and then talking about m t v punk and when that shit started happening, a blink one eighty two comes out, and these kids are being raised on like that level of music that they didn't get mm-hmm. to see what i mean i and I will actually say Green Day started out they were punks so they were living in the van they were doing it they they for sure were yeah, were, yeah. were doing it, whether I like their music or not i can't take anything away from them, but then what spawned after that was so gross. And then so much of this stuff that's happening in hip hop, it's the same thing. It's just so they're looking at, it's not coming from just their soul, like any original form of music. You know what I mean? When people, when, mm-hmm. when you guys were mm-hmm. fucking 14 years old in the dark, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You weren't like, <laughs> I mean, that was about as real as it gets, you know, so, yeah, but go ahead with the thing because I just wanted to tell you that I was very proud of my daughter telling me that when she was like in sixth grade.
1: I'm not dissing anybody. I mean, people have to live their lives, mm-hmm. okay, but for me, you know some some if some somebody younger than me comes up to me and goes, "I'm more punker than you," and it's like, really? you know, and it's just like, I just think that there's more of a danger or a different kind of element to it because not that I'm dissing technology, but when technology came in and the advancement of it, you know, you can look up anything. I mean, I'm grateful that for instance, like knife dance footage or the stuff we have with my record label and my wife read our records. We have a channel where you can get knife dance videos or Dead federation, things of like that. But that mm-hmm. stuff is like rare before it was like, um, I guess everybody is just
0: how it was. Well, we were trading tapes, just, VHS tapes, in the mail of concerts, man. Yeah, sure. I, I guess the, ma- you, the mail, You were the hoarding mail them. You weren't. You weren't letting it, breaking us off. You kept your video tapes. I remember back then. <laughs> Correct. I still shit. have them
2: to this day. <laughs> but no, yeah. I used to trade with G. Allen's uh,
0: brother. I used to trade with Merle Allen. I used to trade with everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. So so
1: did I with Merle. But but the thing is, it's it, it's like, I mean, you look at G. G. Allen for instance. I mean, how punk can you get that might disgust some people, but he went out and, did it, and I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, this guy's going out there, he's doing, you know, he's doing a stick, you know, he's like fucking, you know, gross, you know, whatever, you know, he's like basically endangering his life doing this and, and he did it, you know, and some people, some people might be like, oh, that's disgusting and, but it's it's like I'm like well obviously that's more punk than Green Day to me it's just it's like it's like oh let's play it safe or this I mean there's so much different music is coming out I I even get it to like oi music now because there's some stuff that is like for real that you know talking you know speaking about the working class and this and that where there might be somebody such as Green Day I keep bringing up as an example, where it's like, it's a sellout kind of way, a safe way of saying, oh, you know, the American Nightmare and this and that. It's just like, yeah, but you're doing it on a major label.
0: Exactly. And so I don't, you that's, know- what, this, that's the point here. The thing is, we can't really blame the bands and the musicians and the artists. It's the the media and the people who took these bands and artists and turned them into something else and turned them into this commodity mm-hmm. that it wasn't. When we were younger, mm-hmm. it became different with rap music. You know, you, nowadays, all the new rappers, 90%, there's still some good rap. There's some people out there. But if you go to a show with these young dudes, it's like a mm-hmm. thing to stage dive. Like, even in some of these shows, we were like, oh, my God. You know, when when we were young, stage diving mm-hmm. was just like, it was like total anarchy in the club. Like, the place was just exploding. People were jumping on top of each other like nuts. It wasn't. I mean, and there were certainly posers. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say to this day, people talk about like, yo, know, you're old, you don't understand this new music. It's like, no, you know what? When I was a kid, I didn't like posers either. This is some mm-hmm. po- a lot of this music is some poser ass shit because they learned about it from horrible entities like MTV and the bigger magazines and just this oh, shitty media. Something like, out to you. Yeah, they learned it from they learned it from, from people who should have had no part of this shit. But Green oh, Day, shit, they out. sold ten million, you know, I can't be mad at somebody selling ten million records like that. That's the last people to really be mad at, but the the people that took that sound and took that whole thing and ran with it and just ran it into the ground, that's what fucked up the game.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing. I can get into, like, different different things, such as laughing hyenas. When John had negative approach, he went from negative approach to laughing hyenas, and as he put it, he goes, we went to 500 people to five people, just because he's like, okay, this is what I want to do now. Well, that in a way is punk rock. You know what I'm saying? He's like doing something new. He doesn't want to keep doing the same thing. Yeah. And I'll tell you tell, tell you, a story, which is like really funny, because my wife can back this up. She and I went to GBH at the garage shop in Cleveland, Cleveland Heights. Mm-hmm. And a friend of ours, Joe Clampett, came to the show. We hadn't seen him in ages. And he played um, in Idiot Savants, and he played in Positive Violence, which is by the way, on the New Hope mm-hmm. compilation, So he's looking at all these kids and he goes, Oh, I'm going to go talk to these kids. And it was like really weird because he hadn't been out in like ages, you know? And I was just like, if hey, has something about, they always draw, but they always seem to bring out people that haven't been to a show in a while. It's like, Oh, GBH is coming to town. I'm going to go check them out. You know, it kind of keeps their punk thing going because they're a very good band. Mm-hmm. But anyways, he walked up to a couple people and asked them, hey, um, name me some GBH songs or Discharge songs or Exploited songs. And and it was like, um, I don't know. It's just, you know, they're like, what do you mean you can't name any of these songs? And it's just like, well, it's a cool t-shirt. It's fashionable, so I just wear it. And it's just like, he would just call these people out and he's like, well, you're a friggin' poser. What the fuck are you doing at this show with the t-shirt on? You can't even name... name name any of the songs from the band or what the band's about, you know? And he just called all these people out in the room. He came back to us and reported this. And I was like, whoa, you know, it was just weird hearing him say that to us as we're standing there at the show. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I hear you. I know what you're saying. I mean, but I'm just happy if they can fill a damn room and still be eaten. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If it, you know, if if the posers want to pay to get in, that's fine, I suppose. But, you know that it, it's just a whole culture, and that's what we have to find the new sounds. I mean, to be honest with you, I was when I was a kid, I was never into like techno music and stuff like that. But now, no, I I'm, digging, was I. But I'm digging more into like weird electronic producers and weird shit out there because it's, you know, trying to find something new. What is new? What is going on right now? And that's what punk is to me—like doing whatever uh-huh. you want, doing what's going, you know, making something for this moment, not making mm-hmm. it for you know making it for yourself, just doing it. You know, just I just
1: like. Well, it, the the thing about it is, uh, like, for instance, electronic music, um, Barry Hensler from the Necros and Big Cheap. Mm-hmm. He, well, this was a long time ago, but he got into, you might know about this, um, what is it? Uh, jungle music or something, some form of techno. Oh, well,
0: yeah, like jungle. jungle um, and, yeah, I mean, jungle drum and bass, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's
1: what he got into. And he kind of disses on the punk, punk thing. He's like, I avoid punkers like the plague. Um, but that's his thing. You mm-hmm. can call him out and just be like, oh. But I'm like, you know, you got to respect him. I mean, he put, you know, the Necros were the first wave of hardcore bands. Matter yeah. of fact, if it wasn't from the Necros, Negative Approach wouldn't be around, okay? Nice. Um. By the way... This, I did not get to see him, but this is very strange. Uh, The radio station my wife works for, WCSB in Cleveland State, they put on, this guy put out this album, and we reunited these bands, but somehow he got the pagans, being the reformed pagans by Hudson, um, formed out in Los Angeles when he moved out there, Mm -hmm. came to play the show. It was great. Anyways, Barry Hensler showed up
0: and he was in the crowd.
1: And I'm thinking, and I heard all about it. It was like really weird. Three people from Pittsburgh were there and they told me he was there. And I never saw him. I'm like, well then introduce me. I'm like, I haven't seen him in like, I don't know, 30 years or something. I mean, I've known Barry since the beginning of the necros, but I guess he, he watched half of the show and he left, but man, for a guy in disguise or whatever it was, or blended in, I thought I would see him. I did not see him at all. He, he, I I don't understand why he was even in Cleveland, Ohio, because he lives in Chicago.
2: Hmm.
1: So it was very, it was very strange, but the pagans were a huge influence on him as me. That was like one of the main bands. When I got into the punk scene, the pagans were like, I actually had their singles and pictures up on my wall, along with the stooges and that whole kind of thing. So, um, but anyways, it's the same way Barry got into techno. John got into laughing pain is where, you know, he got into more blues, blues birthday party kind of rock. Um, who else?
0: I want to. I need Fugazi. to interview. I need to interview John and talk to him because he also. He's always told me he says, you know I always liked hip hop, so people would always talk to me about that as well. And he's like, "Man, I saw oh, yeah. I saw N.W.A." <laughs> he was like, "He told me about going oh, to see N.W.A." He, he,
1: he, he, he I, I can tell you, like right now, the story. I was on tour with the Hyenas. <laughs> we went to Chicago, and I'm trying to think some other place. But anyways. They were way in the NWA, and when we were in Chicago, we took a picture with their autographs. You know, Easy and Dr. Gray and all that stuff. But anyways, uh, he did go to the the one NWA show in Detroit, and then he went go back to meet them, which was at a hotel. And he told me all these gangs were here, and um, one of the one of the guys from a gang said, Yo, "You know, you stepped on my foot, punched him or something." So, yeah, I guess he got beat up after the show or something. But, you know, it's just like the, the thing that kills me is, you know, he just talks about it like, matter of fact, like, yeah, I went to an NWA show. It was great. Changed my life. And I got my ass kicked after
2: that.
1: In Detroit. <laughs> so was like, yeah, in Detroit. Man. Detroit's a rough town. Um, I used to, but I like going up there now. You know, it's not really that far a drive. It's about two hours from Cleveland.
0: Yeah, it's a know? dynamic city, man. I mean, shit. Mm-hmm. with a big research it's a, it,
1: oh yeah oh yeah you know it's just and you know it's had great bands come out of there along with John's other band Easy Easy Action of course although basically Easy Action is they get to approach same numbers right you know so um, I don't know what's going on with Easy Action it's kind of weird because uh, I thought they were supposed to put out a new album about two years
0: ago. Well, that but same festival, that same festival where they had the negative approach and Jay Maskus came out that easy action played uh, that festival as well.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, no, he went out, you know, he, he John had no reservations about it. He goes, Oh yeah, I'm doing both bands. And I was like, Whoa, you know, and yeah. that's, that's cool. And and I know with the Jay Maskus thing, they, they came when they got out to California they came out and did, a, I believe, a couple of Laughing Hyenas tunes because mm-hmm. Todd Swallow was there. And of course, Ron and the new Negative Approach. Um, you know, he was a Laughing Hyenas along with the Necros. They, they, it's on YouTube, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think they do everything you want. Everything out. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, maybe Here We Go Again.
2: Mm-hmm. Maybe
1: they did those two tunes. Yeah. So, yeah, but that was great, you know, and God, you know, God bless Larissa, who I, I saw before she passed, unfortunately, you know, yeah. so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and yeah, a lot of people coming and going, you know, but that's just life in general. I just, you know, I just, like I said, there's a reason for everything going on, you know, but like, like I said, we'll get through this and everything, but yeah people move on to other things such as yourself, you know. You're talking about, you know, more electronic music and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. You know, and the thing is, is people don't like that they know certain things like they're used to you through your habits and what you like. Some people like to just want you to stay that way forever. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, I remember... If you want to hear a funny story, this was a long time ago when hardcore, there was this guy, his name's Alex, he had a mohawk and everything. And he was totally into punk rock, like totally in the hardcore, you know? And, you know, he's like, and I said, oh, I don't really listen to that after, like, what are you listening to? And I, you know, I was telling him like some blue, like Gun Club and Billy Holiday and, and he got all mad at me when I said that. He goes, man, I knew you were going to say something like that. I think I'd mentioned the cramps too. And he's like, He's like, man. He goes, don't you listen to DRI and da da da? He just, you know, he just thought that's all I listen to all day. I'm like, no, I listen to different things, you know. And he was just like, you're not punk. You're you're just a fucking fake, you know, sellout or whatever. And I was like, well, whatever, you know. Hmm. I didn't care. I just thought it was like funny. He's just standing there with this mohawk and leather jacket on. He's like screaming at me. Like, I thought it was like no rules, dude. You just do whatever you want, but you're you're placing rules on me. So years later, um, all of a sudden, when Metallica came out, he gets into metal, total thrash metal, and he's the expert on heavy metal. Okay, he had number Metallica's Ride the Lightning. He had the Metallica tattoo on his arm. Okay. And I'm thinking, one thing I wouldn't do is, I'm sorry for me, I've never put a band name on my arm. I don't care. I, I'm i not going to put the laughing hangers or anything on my arm, the stooges, whatever. Mm-mm. I don't have tattoos. I want tattoos, because everybody's got a tattoo.
0: Yeah, so, where, are the, where are the exceptions now?
1: <laughs> nah, I, I don't want to tattoo my body up. I, You know, I like tattoos, but now I'm like, God, everybody has them. I'm like, Piercing. I'm like whatever. whatever. So... Yeah, I know everybody, including your grandmother, your mother, your nah, father, nah, stuff. Nah, you know everybody. Nah, my dad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Nah, nah. But anyways, uh, uh, so I was, you know, he he just like, you know, we you know, I was like, I like metal, the thrash metal that is. You know, I like Slayer, and you know, like when Metallica came out, and my brother was like, you know, Exodus and all that stuff. But I was, all those guys were like Slayer because they just kept to their their thing. You know, they didn't branch out. Like, Metallica, in my opinion, should just break off. They shouldn't even be a fan anymore. I don't know what happened to them. After Cliff died, they just, to me, they're not even a fan. But I'm not a hugest fan <laughs> of them. But anyways, getting back. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not. But, uh, but, but the thing is, is, this guy is like, oh, he's the expert. You know, he started chewing us out because we're talking about hardcore one time at a party. And he comes out and he's like, "Mm -hmm," he's just yelling. There he goes again with his yelling and screaming at us, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's trying to grow his hair out, but it kind of looks like a perm, which I'm just fucking laughing about. And uh, we're just like, we're not saying we hate metal. He's just like, well, don't just Metallica, blah, 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 and all this kind of shit. I would like to know where he is now. And I go, sure you like Metallica anymore? You know, because you know they suck, dude. I'm sure you still got that tattoo on your arm, you know. What I'm trying to say is don't permanently be like that because you'll just stay and just, I don't know, you poof away, you know, or something like that. You know, I'm sure that guy's in other things. Well, I know you might be a big fan of reggae or something now or classical music. You know what I'm saying? It's just like I would never... You know, I'm sure he would be like, oh, that's what I was into at the time. I go, well, you sure made a big deal out of it, like you were the expert on
0: everything, you know. Man, well, I I love it when I like people, I mean, not this guy necessarily, but, like, for instance, reggae. There's lots of Mm -hmm. great reggae mixes out there, lots of great reggae DJs, but so many DJs are going to go for the hits or go for the classics. And I listen to a show on Sundays, The guy named David Rodigan. He's, like, 70 years old on the BBC and he still mm-hmm. to this day makes a point. He'll play one or two like classics on the show, but he makes a point to dig around and find new reggae. He played some Swedish lady yesterday who was dope. You know, like he plays mm-hmm. like, and he still goes around and finds like what's new and what's happening. And regardless mm-hmm. of the type of music it is, like hip hop is, is really bad with that. There's so many DJs who won't take a chance or whatever. But when you find that one that does that can really turn you on to some new music. That's what's important to mm-hmm. me, like, cause I listen. I listen to this Knife Dance CD sometimes. I listen to some old jazz. I was I just did a whole vinyl mix on my SoundCloud of all like old jazz, but I also have like the brand new Ethnic Heritage Ensemble on there. I have Shit and Shine on there. Like, looking, I'm mm-hmm. always looking for something new, and I want somebody to tell me what's going on. What is happening in Cleveland right now? What's happening anywhere? You know, that's that's what's always the most important to me. And the people like that who get so stuck in like. <clears throat> In the past, like I I personally, of course, I will say I prefer hip-hop from the 90s to hip-hop from the 2000s. That's just how it is, how I feel, but there's still good yeah. music now. There's still good stuff happening now. There's punk bands. There's I went and saw a band called Hiss recently. I can't remember mm-hmm. another band that opened up that was just their first show in my brain. I can't remember exactly what their name was. Like mm-hmm. There's still music happening on all levels. It's just like... There's the it's still the same. There's the posers. There's, there's the real. You have to find the real. Mm-hmm. In everything. Why don't we take a quick? Another, oh yeah. Why not I want to talk about knife dance? I know people want to hear more about knife dance. I'm going to play. Uh, you know what I always liked? I always like that song, Driven. Oh yeah, yeah. That's
1: the Andrew uh, Luxica came in and he wrote the riff to that. That's a Man. that's a very good song. That's like one of the. That's a favorite with people. Catwalk, Got uh Angel Mercy. Well, I mean, there's like a lot of songs to choose from. I mean, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just,
0: you there's know, Atomic
1: puzzles. Too. Yeah, that's my shit. Um, the last version of Knife Dance. Um, people like that Loaded part, which my brother and I wrote. Scott did Dude, the riff. Stocking
0: Ground is the I hardest. The I played Stocking Ground on a metal huh? mix I did recently. I, I sent you a link. I love that Stocking Ground is so hard.
1: <laughs> that's actually. Even though the last version of Knife Dance did that, uh, that was originally when Andrew Lesko was in the band, and I think wow. Charlie Charlie came up with that because it starts off with the do 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 do, yeah. and that you know. Um, I don't for some odd reason. I have to go through my tapes. I don't think we recorded that in the early version. I could be wrong, Man. but. I had that and Move On. Move On was the first song, knife Dance Over Rope,
2: huh.
1: along with Desert hopes, Desert Dreams. But um, that was that was about it. I don't think we recorded Stalking Ground, an early version that that is, and Move On. For, I don't know why. You know, it's like, so, okay, we've got a song, let's record it. And I'd be like, nah, I don't want to do that or something like that. It was just kind of weird. You know, I how know. things unleash... But anyways, um, yeah. Let me know what you want to talk
0: about. Well, I don't even have to introduce this next song because it comes complete with its own introduction. You're tuned in to Mania's podcast. We're talking to Tom Dark, and we'll be right back. But you got to introduce this next song. What's the the next
3: song called? The Real Bahamas.
0: Okay, you have to say, and now
3: this is Knife Dance. And the name of the song is Driven.
1: What's that?
3: (laughs) You have to say, well, the the name of the band I'm playing is Knife Dance, right? Okay, and the name of the song is Driven, so you have to announce it. Okay. Okay, go ahead. This is Night Dance.
1: What's the name of the song? <laughs> <laughs> the
3: name of the song. You didn't tell me. Uh,
1: okay, the name of the song You're is Driven. You're failing, buddy. You're right, failing. Driven. And I'm the, failing. And the name of the group is Knife Dance.
3: Okay. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Rivet by Night Dance. No, Driven. Yeah. You see rivet? Driven. 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 No, Driven. Driven. Okay, say. You guys are making it too difficult for me. Say, and now here's Knife Dance Let's with Driven.
2: Me. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: By I knew you statues. could.
2: Thank you.
0: So we just played Driven That was off the second album And then uh, Stocking Ground From the 7-inch That you said Blew my mind Just a minute ago Telling me that's an Earlier Knife Dance song I had no idea I thought that was Definitely a product Of the last lineup Because it was Way That shit was heavy heavy. You know
1: what I take that back Um, Remember when I just told you We did not record Move on Well the early version And Stocking Ground But we did do Go the stocking ground, which you hear on the seven-inch, and we did record "Move On," mm-hmm. and that was the last version of the band with the, you know my brother and I, Sean Watkins, Chris, and Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, we did do a whole album that with some new songs too, <clears throat> but that never got released. We that was like around I remember this. It was 1990. That got released November first i believe we broke up because those guys didn't want to do a tour we had it all set up and guess what your friend um name it uh the singer from lost brian
0: brian yeah
1: he was supposed to take us out on tour and because my van at the time i didn't think was stable enough or equipped enough Take us out because we're going all over, like everywhere Texas, Minneapolis, you know, Minnesota, I think. Mm -hmm. And we had some good shows with Anti Scene, The Cows, and I believe Naked Ray Gun. We had some dates there. For some odd reason, at the last minute, it was like we're like almost supposed to go on a tour in two to three weeks. And the guys were like, nah, we don't do it. I'm like, what do you you mean? You don't want to do it. Well, no, we just don't, you know, we don't want to do that, you know, anymore. And my brother and I were just... My brother was just crushed. And I was just like... Because I put so much work into it. My day was just waking up. This was before cell phones. I had to call these guys, uh, go to work, same mm-hmm. place I'm still working at, then get home, do mail orders for my then record label, Hit and Run Records, and then call these club owners. And it was just nothing but calls. And, you Because know, you're going to get an answering machine or you're going to yeah. get a... Somebody of that that's going to pick up the phone like, well, so and so is going to be here between these hours. We've got to catch them tomorrow at this hour. And so, at the same time, okay, I'm paying this guy to drive us around in the van. We'll pay for the gas, pays for his food. I think I gave him a, uh, an advance or something.
2: Mm-hmm. Whatever. I
1: had all my bases covered. And then it was like, boom. I don't want to do this anymore. Um
0: People have no idea what it guys. takes. People have no idea what it takes to have a, a band or a, a musical career in that way to keep it oh, yeah. together. How many times? I mean, I have five hundred stories of that, like, okay, we're gonna do this. No. It's very hard. You gotta be built for it. Oh yeah.
1: it's like I tell you, um the road will that's a big kind of thing to take on. And you got to have people, depending on how many people are in your band, on the same level. The one thing I admire about Black Flag is, they were the band that, great again, to me, was like, okay, you're going to be in my band, you're going to do a boot camp. You know, because I remember reading the Black Flag story, the book about them, Chuck Mm -hmm. Dukowski was like, we're going to practice, but we're going to practice a lot, like all the time, you know, kind of thing. Those guys would practice like six days a week, eight to ten hours a day, and just keep going through the same songs whatever it was. So you're just programmed your brain is into like you did that, you practice all day, you wrote some lyrics, you listen to what Greg said, you fucking, you know, did things at his label SST Records. You did mail outs, that whole thing. I mean, those guys are living like dogs, man, you know, and eating barely any food and, you know, but, to when people give somebody like Henry Rollins crap for him to go through that, I go, you can sit there and point your finger at him all you want to, or any other person in black flag, you could never survive that. There's no way it's like being a Navy SEAL in a band for God's sake, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, from what you're saying, there's some people that just come back from the tour, and you just don't want to tour anymore, or, you know, whatever. I mean, I'll be honest with you, with my with my band, Black Static Guy, we had a whole bunch of dates set up. We were supposed to
2: do, you know, last
1: Friday, we are supposed to play at Buffalo, New York, and then the next day... We're supposed to play Cleveland. Well, every all our dates well, all got canceled. But all our dates up until July are on hold. We don't know how long this Corona thing is going to go on. Right? Um, there might be some things that will open a little bit, but that doesn't mean it's going to die down, or we're going to be out of the you know out of the woods, you know, right. because they got to find a serum or something to cure this or keep this down. And um, so, but getting back to what I was saying. I personally think from my perspective of uh, it's a young man's game. I'm 55 Unless black static guy. Like, let's say I was doing tours and I was like, say, uh, stiff little fingers or the exploited or, you know, flag or something. Well, you know, you're going to draw crowds. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Black static guy doesn't draw crowds like that you know and you know we have a cd out. we have a cd on the way we have downloads but it's i mean in my opinion the the market is just so overloaded with bands and music everywhere Everywhere. you know i mean everywhere you go it's just there's just so much and with technology you just the live thing if you can exist on that I mean, you know, which you can make your money. Now, if you slowly rely on your just musical thing and that's it, God bless you if you can do it, but I still have a job, and I'm going to see that job till the very end. The company right. I work for <laughs> has been very good to me, but I don't know how the future's going to be, you know, and it's just like, um, I like, I like playing music, I like making music, I don't know if I can do a tours for like a month yeah, well, 50, <laughs> like no,
0: every day. yeah but that's the thing 55 at uh 18 19 20 you can do whatever be in the van or whatever but 55 you gotta have your own hotel room you and you and scary ellen are gonna have to have your own room <laughs> ain't gonna be no van sleeping you know what i mean like that, uh-huh. that's you know i wouldn't i don't think i could I, I actually prefer living in the van you know being on the road like that i love doing that but at this point you know when i go on tour with devon we mostly fly we might take trains in fact to be honest I don't even really want to tour the states that much. It's it's such a luxury in Europe. You know they take care of you so so well over there, and mm-hmm. it's, you know they feed you well. They t- you know it's all pretty mm-hmm. much runs really uh, more efficiently. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but the point I think we were both trying to make is like this is shit. This is a lot of work, man. Either if you're independent, you're young, you're old, you're you're big, you're small. Just getting you know four mm-hmm. people together, four people together on one page to do anything. Is is a lot, you know what I mean? Like four or five people just oh, to yeah. make it happen, and you have been. I mean, I, I love, love th- that you still have Black Static Eye, and I love Dead Federation, I love sis, a Stepsister. You know what I mean? You've you've continued on, mm-hmm. and stayed. You know, you, like you told me, you mm-hmm. stayed with your your same job for so long, but throughout that mm-hmm. whole time, you've still been making music and and putting it out there and playing shows, and that's I admire that a lot. I think that's like, you know, none of that ever dies if it's if it's for real within you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, getting back touring, uh, my three other members and I'm not. Hey, I'm not. You know, you know, we we play together. We try to do the best we can, but uh, they don't have as much vacation time as me.
2: Right.
1: You know, say okay, we're gonna book a show, shows for a week. We're gonna like, we're gonna do all like whatever six days and then come back. Mm. Well, those guys can't do that. You know, so that's easy for me to say, you know, and, you know, it's like, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to quit their jobs for, you know, income. I mean, we, we barely make any money. We just do it because like, we like playing and we're happy if people like it and buy a few, whatever CDs from us or want to download something or they enjoyed it. You know, just the fact that people would even show up and see us, but it's very hard. You know, it's like, say, I want to like. You know, say, well, let's go out for a week. It's like, well, yeah, we can't do that, man. You know, if I go out for a week, I don't have vacation time like that, and plus I'll lose my job. I don't want anybody to lose their job, no. you know? So, um, matter of fact, our original bass player in black static guy, he just moved to Hawaii uh, last year to, mm. you know, to up his job. So, he, you know, he's happy doing that. He's over there with his girlfriend slash fiance. You know, he's happy over he there. So uh, we got a new bass player, uh, Michael, who's a great guy. Mm-hmm. But ever since we've done this this Corona thing, um, we haven't practiced. The last time I said it was like last month, March, the middle of March. And, um, you know, all our gigs have been canceled so far or or put on hold. (sighs) Um, I don't know. One thing I'm working on at the current moment is, um, we're going to, the new, uh, black static. I released the fortune teller will be on download through Smogville records and compact disc meaning CD Mm -hmm. on red hour records, which is just a mail order thing. Um, we still get orders. Our biggest seller is the Cleveland screaming, uh, Documentary movie on DVD.
0: It's a
1: double disc. If anybody's interested. But anyways, go on.
0: That was great. That was great. Mm -hmm. That's -hmm. crazy. There's also a Buffalo punk documentary out there. Oh really? Yeah. Might be on YouTube. uh, But okay. You know, not not. But honestly, when you come to to punk rock and stuff, there's not many cities as deep as Cleveland. Just rock and roll in general, but like real raw rock. Cleveland that history I say, I,
1: th- I think Cleveland's been a very underrated city. We've been ragged on. Mm-hmm. There's been I mean, already history's proved itself. There's been so many bands that were ahead of its time, being the Dead Boys, the Pagans, Perubu, Um Perubu. Uh God, there's there's so many bands I could name. Um, even in Northeast Ohio, you know, like when when we released the Cleveland Screaming documentary which is, that's what it's about. I mean, it says Cleveland Screaming. That's because it was taken because of the reunion concerts, you know? Mm-hmm. So Brad Warner, who played bass in Zero Defects, who got it together. And then we finally released it through Red Hour because there was like there a couple of people were going to release it, but they never pulled through on the project. Mm-hmm. But we did. Um, You know, it's you Zero ever- Defects, Agitated, Offbeat's. I mean, there's a lot of great bands. Did you You know, ever... and then you had like... No, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say,
0: did you ever get to see Devo early on?
1: No, I I never got to see Devo early on. I, I got the singles. I got all the early singles when they came out, but I, I never did go get to see Devo. Believe, uh, they, uh, I got from Akron,
0: right? Akron's not not that far from correct, Cleveland. I mean, correct. That's just south of Cleveland a bit, right? No,
1: it's it's like 30 minutes to an hour away yeah. at the most. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, you could drive down, I can drive down, down there like right now. It's, that's a great town. It has it had great, you know, great bands besides Devo, Rubber City Rebels, um, Hammer Damage, mm-hmm. another band, another band that like had major label interests. And in then it just didn't, I, I don't know. The public group couldn't, you know, pushed them over the edge mm-hmm. you know it's, it was a, should i say the rubber city rebels that's what i'm talking about but when they came back those guys from rubber city rebels two of them became hammer damage which was a great freaking band you know mm-hmm. and another you know, an underrated band you know there's 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 so many bands to name. you mm-hmm. know and it's just like and then you know of course in ohio the state of ohio you mm-hmm. had toxic reasons from Dayton and you had the Necros from uh, Mommy, Ohio, mm-hmm. you know, and everything. So, and then, you know, like we mentioned earlier, like Dead Boys, Pagans, Decappers, Lepers, uh, God, AK-47s, mm-hmm. like all all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, and of course, my whole I mean, think about it, the electric Eels. that was like between 1970 and 74, you know. Agitated. I mean, come on, They had a leather with safety pins and rat traps. And think about that. You know, it's just like that's way before Johnny Robert, the Suckers will start doing any of that kind of stuff. You know, in seventy-five, seventy-six.
0: No, way before. So way I think before.
1: Cleveland was a little bit ahead of, ahead of its time. You know, with things.
0: Cleveland was very ahead. You of know, its time, the, and does not get the credit. Oh
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. I, like people like kind of rag. Oh Cleveland, Ohio. I re- I remember reading some review in Your Flesh magazine that says, oh, you know, I think it was a Star Reach Army review, and they said, oh, that's a city like an armpit wa- waiting to die or something. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. You know, it's just I think I think when people have the money and the backing and they can put out product, like for instance like nobody in a way really cared about Seattle until sub pop came along. Then it was like, they started doing all these bands and then it was like, Oh, I like Seattle. Seattle's great now, you know? Mm -hmm. So you could say like, say we had a sub pop in Cleveland um, and all these bands start coming out. Cleveland would be the place Mm kind of like when Devo said, Akron was the Liverpool of America. Well, that's what started that whole thing with when people major labels started getting interested in DO, Rubber City Rebels, Tin Huey, the Bizarro's, um, Chai Pig. Man. When there really was no kind of like Liverpool down there. Right. But just because he said that in the press, people were like, Oh my god, you know? So um, you know, things like that, you know, take off. If you have the money in the back and, you know, people take an interest if you could move, move bands and their music out there like that, you know, even though it might end up in the cutout bin, but you take a chance on all that. But same with the Stooges and MC5 and all those bands. Those bands weren't selling zillions of records. They were pretty much cutout bin and stuff, but labels took a chance until after 75, radio got, form, you know, formulated. Like, this is what you're going to play. It's going to be Bruce Springsteen, things like that. You know, None of this punk stuff or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. so <laughs> thank God there's podcasts and free radio where people can, like, just talk freely and play anything they want. Yeah, you know?
0: just keep it real, man, for so. real. And that's what Cleveland always did. Cleveland is one of the realest cities, hands down, for the mm-hmm. music, you know. hmm on a side before we end up here to be honest I only have so much time on these this card that I record on on this little roadcaster podcast I entire. I understand but um I wanted to ask you just a total aside did you ever know Harvey P. Carr? No, I know who he is. Yeah. Um I Does his I documentation I, of saw him. I mean his documentation of well, I, comic book form was just incredible.
1: Yeah. Um I think I've seen him a few times walking down the street on Coventry or around Cleveland Heights. that's primarily where where he's from or was mm-hmm. from. um but I never met him in person or anything like that. I've never met Crom who, who did the illustrations of Robert Crum, right um, No, but yeah, I know who he is, you know, and I've you know seen his stuff but I never met him officially.
0: Yeah, I just looked sure. over and saw I have a stack of American Splendors, and I was like, oh, I need to ask Tom if he knew if he knew Harvey.
1: It's a good movie. It's a good portrayal of him. I, you know, I thought it was very good. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I think I think there was a scene he was on a like a, like in a a basketball park, or, or I mean, yeah, basketball. Yes, and he was eating uh, uh Papa Next Pizza. That's like right around the corner from my house in That's Lakewood.
0: Funny. That's funny. which is like funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have all the Which is kind of weird
1: because I was like, oh, that's a West Side pizzeria. I'm like, I wonder why he's <laughs> West Side when he's on East Side. Or, but that's just <laughs> me, you know.
0: You notice,
1: you, know, you know, it's like if you saw somebody you're in Austin, it's like, it's like, man, why's that guy like that. eating that in Dallas? You know.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. Hey, um, I'm sorry, I missed you. Remember last we talked, me and. uh Kerry and I came in the town to see the scientists right at um Beerland.
0: Right. yep
1: yep and, and uh I remember I of course I talked to Tim Kerr the fantastic mm. Tim Kerr there and I saw James Arthur from fireworks um necessary evils you know things of that nature but uh we flew back the next day and then scientists came To Cleveland and man, I'll tell you that show we saw was better than the Austin show. No diss on Austin, but man, they—I mean—they blew the roof off the house. They were so good. You know, I talked to Kim Solomon and the whole band. Very nice people. But I had a birthday party shirt on, and they're all interested. they are more interested in the birthday party T-shirt. So, is that the original? Where'd you get that? (laughs) I told them I got it from a mail and on eBay or something. Man, like oh.
0: Yeah,
1: they told me, all
0: just one shop. Yeah, I'm sad I just missed just you one guys. Shop and just run. I'm sad I missed oh, you guys no, no, on no, that. But I also okay. just like, you know, I I that was I did have a period, like I said, I'd been self isolating this last year or so or a little more just kinda like, you know, what you said what you just said, dude, I'm sorry, but Notice I love Austin for a lot of reasons, but it's dude, this place used to be so fun to go to I'm old too, so I don't give a shit. But I still go to will go to shows sometimes. But now I go to shows and I listen to the way people talk and the way I just get too annoyed, man. Like I can't even hang out like that anymore. And like Uh and Beerland pissed me off too because motherfuckers brought Pear Ubu and this rich dude was doing all these fucking shows, doing all these little like exclusive parties, and you couldn't buy Uh you couldn't buy an advance ticket, and they had pair ubu. With like six or seven bands or some shit opening up, like which was would be hell to me at this point. And uh, it is hell. It is hell. But listen, man, it this is hell. No, he made it a five. It was a five dollars show. He's just a rich dude trying to have, do cool things. He brought Pear Ubu mm-hmm. to to Beerland, a band I wanted to see so bad. I have kids. I deal with some shit. I got there at like ten minutes <laughs> after eight, and they were like, "Oh, it's one in, one out. No, it's it's packed. Sorry." It was like with who? You're a bunch of your stupid friends, uh-huh. man. You know what I mean? So, and I was like, I waited in line for like 20 minutes. I was like, this is the beginning of the show. Ain't nobody leaving. And so I mm-hmm. didn't get to see Perubu and I was pissed off at Beerland, to be honest. And that whole situation was, it was just some bullshit. That's probably one of the many reasons I did not go out to that, but that Perubu shit, that pissed me off so much. I wanted to see them so bad. I always wished it like fun, fun, fun fest or somebody would have brought them. And then they're all of a sudden mm-hmm. and rocket from the tombs plate too. But, uh, all of a sudden, they're playing Beerland, and I'm like, "Oh, I was so mad, so mad!" You, and it was just you, like you a, to a party for them. It was like, so they could have a, a cool party. Well,
1: here's the thing: as I get older, I'll just give you a short story on that. We came into Austin. We got a car. We we're staying with their friend Lynn Tozier, but she's out in, uh way out. She's out in the country. She's not, you know, she's about. Eh, I don't know, twenty thirty minutes from downtown Austin. But mm-hmm. so we decided to just stay in town. But we see we didn't have it planned out exactly. We parked the car, walked around, went to you know, some some fancy smancy restaurant, got some food, got some beers, walked over to Beer Lamb. The one thing we got there early, and I was like, man, all they had was like three chairs by the bar. I'm like, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? I don't want to stand through all this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I had drive, so I can't, you know, drink and drive, you know, so I shared a beer with my wife. She, you know, so you know, we're sitting through, I don't know, what it was like, two bands, three, three bands or something. And, um, one of the bands that opened up was like really good. I got their album. I forget their name. They were really good. The scientists came on, and they were good, but like I said, the Cleveland show was way, way better. Mm-hmm. But anyways, James Arthur, you know, when to come and party, and I wasn't like really in the mood to party because we like drove out to Lintosiers, mm-hmm. and it's like way out in the country. There was like no such thing as like street lights or anything. We had a flashlight of our, our phones trying to find the address, even though we'd been there before. Wow! But when we, the last time we came to Austin, when we saw you, mm-hmm. it was happening, you know? And I'm not dissing Austin. I used to go to Austin. We got to see
0: Austin like, Cerebro Ballsy when you came that time. That was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. a fun oh, show.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it was great. But when my wife and I were walking back, all these dude, all these people on these scooters, you know? And I was oh. just like, they was driving me up the friggin' wall. I'm like, what is up with all these scooters? Like, everywhere. I'm like, what are you guys, like? it was like driving me up the freaking wall. I'm like, Oh my God. And we're just like, we're just like, basically like this, let's get out of here. Let's get out of the city and get out of here. Like right now. And people are like, let's party. I'm like, dude, I can't party. Cause these people just want to do beer and shots and go nuts, eating Mexican food or something. I'm like, I can't do that. You know?
0: Yeah, well, the street that but, um, Beerland's on, that area, Red River, there's still some culture. There's still some music, but Sixth Street is a pit. Sixth Street is like co- Coyote Ugly. For, literally, they have Coyote Ugly there, but Flamingo Cantina is mm-hmm. still standing, which is a classic club. It's right at Sixth and Red River. There's still the Parish. There's still a few places that, you know, there's good live music venues, Empire, Mohawk. I mm-hmm. guess Beerland was bought out by a corporate entity, from what I understand. Uh, there's uh-huh. Barracuda. There's some venues, but it's just like going downtown, like downtown Austin, man. I need, I live up not too far North, but I'm kind of North, man. I want to open up my own venue on the North side and never go downtown again. If I can help with those scooters, hey, those condos, what, all that shit.
1: What happened? What happened with Mike's, uh, uh, club he was booking at,
0: man. Mike Flannery is still booking kick Buck coffee, but he's on hold like anybody right now you know like they're ser- yeah. they're serving coffee out the door but they're not having shows nobody's having shows but he's still i just saw mike the other day man we were talking about you man like i told him i was like i'm gonna, I'm gonna hit up tom about doing a podcast man i got this i got this mixer now and i'm like i can do good phone calls and so i was, I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I saw him just the other day well Tom, yeah, i said
1: hi i, I-, I, I didn't like write him on uh, on facebook but I never heard back from him, but I think he was like overwhelmed with booking. This was like last year or something. We're like, yeah. we want to do something weird, like go down there and play because I think I was like looking through old, you know, things he wrote me, like, watch, well, come down here and play. And I'm just like, well, maybe you could fly down there if you could provide us with some equipment, you know. Yeah. But I never heard back from him, but I'm sure he was going through some stuff or he was like overbooked or he's got enough people to deal with, especially if you're oh, running yeah. a club, you know. Yeah, So it's just crazy. But tell him I said
0: hi. I'll tell him for sure, man. And there's still people keeping it real yep. down here in Austin. It's it's still a cool city. But yeah, the downtown has changed so much. It's it's hard for me to even give a shit to be honest mm-hmm. about a lot of these things. But I'm glad you're still yeah, doing just, doing it, man. And that before we get out of here, I think we should play something from Black Static Eye. What would you suggest? I've got. I think you, <laughs> so. The, the the first record came out like last year. I got that online. Right? Was it last I, year? Okay that's all I have. That's all I have from black static Eye.
1: for some. Okay. You can play two cuts and that would be the first one, my happy hour Mm -hmm. or the, the kind of birthday party ish one called, uh, the black forest founder. I don't know what it is, but when we start playing that song, all these people would request that.
2: Okay. And I mean,
1: I like it, but I didn't think, but it's my happy hour. And, um, Black Forest her, I would play those two songs. And nice. then, like I said, we got some uh, new one coming out called The Fortune Teller Download in Smogville and uh, on CD through a mail order, Red Owl Records dot com. you want to order it, it should be like an easy five bucks for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and we do have t-shirts, buttons, stickers, and Cozies, koozies, whatever really? you want to call them to hold your beer, drinking. Oh, always, yeah, we you've got always those.
0: been good with the merch for real. You've always been good with the merch, <laughs> always. All your man.
1: Well, guess what? Remember, uh, stepsister, we had the ashtrays and coffee cups set at the yep. time, I was like, Who would buy those? And so with uh, both of well, anti told me they came out with coffee cups, and they were like, The reason why we did this is because of you. Wow. <laughs> I said, Well. I have my anti scene coffee cup. I do have a stepsister coffee cup and ashtray. but I know
0: I have it that's, somewhere. That's it. I definitely have it somewhere. <laughs> I have all that.
1: That's crazy. No, I, I think it's funny because uh, people did it's so small, they go, hey, I, I flicked my ashes in your, your ashtray or I drank some coffee this morning out of uh, your coffee cup. I'm like, that's cool. But at the time, all people had was Stickers, t-shirts, stickers, t-shirts, maybe some buttons, and that was it. That's yeah. all I saw. I said, I it's something a little bit different," you know. So, who knows?
0: Yeah, but now there's, maybe there's, we companies, might have a- there's companies online. You can just upload your logo, and you can order a, a baby t-shirt, or a coffee mug, or a, a one of those uh-huh. one of those Yeti coolers with the logo on it and shit. Like you can get like anything made mm-hmm. these days online. Oh That's yeah, crazy. it's so much different.
1: Maybe we might have some more Corona masks. Stay calm and listen to Black Static Eye. Oh, what can I say?
0: There you go. Let's do it. Let's think about it.
1: It's just, I mean, you know, like anything. I, You know, I, I wish we could put the new release out on vinyl. I just don't have the money. You no. know, it's just like...
0: Honestly... I wish I could. Well, I have this policy of buying my friend's music. Like, I don't need any more records. Like, I love records. But I really don't need any more mm-hmm. records. But then... If a friend would put out a record, I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy it. But now all my friends are putting out records. I'm going to go broke. Mm-hmm. These $30 records. Well, when they're 20, I'm cool with it. When <laughs> they're 30, 35, well, issues. Mr. Chris
1: Yarmak, yeah. yep. he did the cover again for our new release. And it's like funny when I go over to his house, that's all he listens to or buys is CDs. That's it. I said, mm-hmm. He even told me, he goes, don't put your new release out on, on vinyl. I don't want it. I have t- so much vinyl. I can't deal with vinyl anymore. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, that's cool, dude. He goes, just make it CD. Yeah, funny. <laughs> he doesn't want any more vinyl. He said he's like tired of buying the vinyl and you just, he just wants CDs. I'm like, okay.
0: That's funny, fine. man. Tell him, I said, what's up? I interviewed him back in the day, too, back when I was like 17, 18 years old, and he put, you put his book out.
1: Mm-hmm. That was crazy. He is uh. He is doing... He's still painting. Um, He's doing kind of well on his paintings, man. He just sold a bunch like last week. Um, I love his paintings. It kind of... Not exactly, but it reminds me a little bit of uh, Randy uh, uh, Biscuits Turner from Mm -hmm. The Big Boys. Mm Kind of reminds me of that a little bit. You know, he's got some horror stuff or Halloween stuff in there. But his stuff is really good. I really like, you know toes Tozer down in Austin says, man, he could make a killing down here if he sold that stuff. Right. But, you know, Chris is Chris. He'll be in Cleveland forever. So, you know, but I'm glad his artwork is taking off. I just wish he'd get a website or something. But, like, he likes to, like, to stay under the radar. He doesn't like all that publicity and stuff like He's that. An so at
0: least we... He's keeping it analog.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's, like, old school, which is cool. Yeah. I'm old school, too.
2: Yeah, you know, no doubt. No doubt.
1: I mean, I have a computer and everything, but I'm not, I'm not a tech wizard. I don't spend all day on my computer. I got other stuff to do.
0: Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. Living. You know, well, so, I appreciate the time, um, man, and having this conversation, man. For real, it's a long overdue.
1: Oh yeah, man. You you know it, man. I'm, I'm here for fan, you anytime. Man. You know, I love you. You're the man, and I um, appreciate everything you've done. For me and you know your your life and what you've done, i mean i I'd sit down and talk to you for hours on end, man, you know for sure, I mean, yeah. we've been through some 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 good times, some funny times, even times like you know you know you taking me to shows and we've had some good laughs, good memories, everything, you know it's all good, man, yeah,
2: you for know, sure. I'm just
1: I'm glad I get to live another day and talk to you and I'm on your podcast, which I really appreciate. And
0: um me too. And yeah, I'll send you all the links and all the images and so we make we get this up, we get it up in the next day. Do a little Okay, that's cleanup, that's great. Get the music in there and uh man, put it out to the people. <laughs> you
1: got it. I mean, this is this is an appropriate time to do it. I mean, pretty much uh a lot of people are staying at home and have nothing better to do, so they're looking for something to listen to, look at, whatever. Yeah. So now is a great time to do it, you know. But you should definitely, um, if you want to, uh, yeah, definitely get in touch with John Brannon or uh, he's staying in in Detroit. If you want to talk to my wife sometimes, Gary Ellen, she's Mm -hmm. got some tales to tell.
0: That'd be wild. Um, She
1: could tell you about early days. Oh, yeah, man. She saw the Stooges, New York Dolls. Uh, First time Kissel went out on tour. She was at the airport when Roxy Music got off the plane.
2: Um,
1: All that stuff. Oh, yeah. She's got tales to tell. So um who
0: knows. I bet. So I, bet.
1: I appreciate the time and guess what? I'm gonna grab some lunch here. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, so, that sounds uh,
0: like a good idea. <laughs> well Tom Dark, I so, appreciate um, your time, man. We uh No problem. We'll definitely stay in touch and we'll get this up as soon as possible. You are tuned in to Pusher Mania Podcast, Real Talk with Matt Sinzala and Tom Dark. Finishing things off with a couple songs from Black Static Eye. Hit me up on the SoundCloud. Everything is Pusher Mania. SoundCloud.com slash Pusher Mania. The Pusher Mania Network podcast on Apple Music, on everything. All them podcast platforms. Subscribe, like, share, tell a friend to tell a friend, and we'll see you next time.
1: All right.